Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Kind of turn the corner and we're going to talk about how to have a powerful prayer life. And this message is kind of a nuts and bolts. Now, it is not exhaustive. I'm going to say that. All right, we're going to, I'm going to give you a couple of things that talk about having a powerful prayer life, but there's so much more. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. But I've always wanted to have a, a powerful prayer life since I've been a follower of Jesus. I remember many years ago when I first gave my life to Jesus, uh, 30-something years ago now, the church I was at was having a prayer seminar where they invited this guy uh, who spoke all over the place about prayer, and he was coming to our church, and I guess he was... I didn't know the name or anything. I was kind of new to Christianity, but I didn't know the guy. But he came, and uh, supposedly he was just one of these gurus when it came to prayer, and who had a, he had a very powerful prayer life. And so my wife and I signed up, and it was like a Friday afternoon, all day Saturday, and we got there, and we got a booklet, kind of a, you know, that we could follow along, and he went into talking about powerful prayer, and he gave us all sorts of examples from his life. And as he was talking about it, I thought, man, that's what I want. I mean, he was talking about things that he would pray about and God would move. Things would happen. Miracles would happen. Great things would happen. And I thought, man, I want that. Because up to that point, I prayed, but I never had any power behind my prayers. I didn't see things like that happening in my prayer life. I thought, I want that. And so he went through it and he started talking about how he went about his day. And here's what he said. He said, here's the secret to powerful prayer life for me. He said, I get up at 4 o'clock every single morning of my life. And I pray until 8 a.m. And I thought to myself, that's it. That's the secret. That's how you have a powerful prayer life. You get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you pray for four hours, and great things are going to happen. And I said, I'm in. I'm going to do this. And so that next Monday morning, man, I was ready. Set my alarm for 4 o'clock in the morning. I didn't realize how early that came. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Set my alarm, got up, wiped the sleep out of my eyes, went kind of to the dining room table, had my Bible out, got that, you know, that book that he gave us, had that out, had a prayer list out, and man, I began to pray. And it was amazing. Like, it was amazing for about two and a half minutes. And the next thing I remember, I'm, my head is down on the dining room table. It's about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm, and I'm lying in a pool of drool, okay? Like, I, I got totally out of it. And I thought to myself, if that is the key to a powerful prayer life, I will never have one. Because there's no way that I'm getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and able to have a, like, any kind of logical conversation with God in any way. This is not going to happen. I'm not wired that way. That's not my rhythm. I'm not, I'm not a morning person. I'm a night owl. That's... It's, so it's not going to work for me. I guess I'm going to have to settle for something less than a powerful prayer. I'll just have a prayer life, right? It's not going to have a lot of power. I'll just, I'll just pray and hope for the best. But, you know, I found out that fortunately that's not the key to a powerful prayer life. It was for him. It worked for him. But probably doesn't work for 99% of the population. Not because we're, we're less spiritual, not because we don't want to. It just, just doesn't work. What is the key to a powerful prayer life? Well, if I was going to sum it up, here's what I'd say. Just make time every single day. Find a place. Get your Bible out. Talk to God and listen to God. And great things happen. 
God answers prayer. Remember, he doesn't always answer yes. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait, but God answers prayer. He loves it to be in a conversation with his children. That's what God likes. So when we join him in that, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. But most people do pray. I mean, it's statistically proven whether, you know, believers, non-believers, everybody pretty much prays. About 85% of Americans say they pray at least occasionally. It's a lot of people. 66% say that they pray at least weekly. So people pray. I think it's something almost instinctive. Would you agree with that? Like it's almost instinctive. Because I think back before I was a follower of Jesus, I prayed. I didn't know God. All I knew is that I figured, you know, what did it hurt? So my prayers were normally, were like, hey, I'm in a jam. Get me out of, get me out of this. Like save me from this situation I put myself in. I don't know if it worked or not. I guess I'm still here, so maybe it did. But I didn't really have an idea, but we pray. People pray. But how do you have a powerful prayer life? A prayer life that great things happen. That's what we're going to look at today. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. Let me give you two things that are kind of overlooked for most people when they think about powerful prayer. But there's so much more. For instance, we know that the Bible talks about this element of faith. When you pray, if you're going to have a powerful prayer life, you've got to have faith. I mean, it's clear. You go through the Scripture and look at that. There's something, when, when prayer is accompanied by a, a faith, there's great things happen. So we know great faith should be included in this list. And perseverance in prayer where you're like nonstop praying. Jesus said that's, that's, that's powerful. When you don't give up, when you pray until something happens, push. Pray until something happens. Again, Yes, no, or, or wait, but you pray. That's, that's powerful too. But today I'm going to talk about a couple things that I don't think a lot of people think about when they think about how to really have that kind of prayer life. And so if you're a note taker, this would be a good one. Um, by the way, in case you don't know, we have, there's this thing called the YouVersion app. It's a Bible app. And I think it's been downloaded, I don't know how many billions of times. It's, it's all over the world. But what's great about it is if you haven't done that, you can, you can do that. And you can follow along, join us live, and you'll get all the notes, and you can just kind of fill in blanks and just make your life easier. Uh, and, and that's just kind of a pro tip for you in case you haven't done that, but it's, it's a good thing to have. So let me give you the first thing that I see that as I look at Scripture. And I think if you're going to have powerful prayer life, that you've got, to, you've got to have these two things. Number one is check your motives. Check your motives. When you, when you, if you're going to have a powerful prayer life, you gotta, it's really got to be the right kind of motivation because motives are really important when it comes to prayer. I mean, why do we really pray? And I, I, I know that's kind of a general question, but when it comes to prayer, your, your, your motives matter. Everybody prays. I said that a second ago. But generally, our motives are, are not always was good. Like when I told you, when I was praying before I knew Jesus, it was my prayers were all about me and getting me out of my situations. They say there are no atheists in foxholes, that everybody at some point, if they get in a jam, they're going to pray with whatever motives. It's like the guy, that the, the atheist guy. And I don't know, I'm not picking on atheists. This is the second week in a row I've used an atheist joke. I'm sorry if you're an atheist. I'm glad you're here. It's not, not against you. <laughs> But there was an atheist guy who wanted to go bear hunting out west, and so he went and um, he flew out there, and he, he's walking around through the woods, and he sees a massive grizzly bear. And he's thinking, perfect. So he takes aim, and he shoots, and unfortunately wounds this grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear is ticked off, and he sees this guy, and he starts chasing him. So the guy was like, I'm going to shoot him again, tries to shoot his gun jams, and now he's in trouble. 
And he realizes this grizzly bear is going to get him, so he starts running as fast as he can. He looks over his shoulder and he realizes this bear is gaining on me really quick. He looks over his shoulder again and then trips over a log. At that moment, the grizzly bear just kind of is diving toward him, and the guy instinctively just says, Oh my God! And time froze. The bear in midair froze. The sounds of the forest were silenced. The sun, a light shone on this man's face, and a voice came from heaven. The voice said this, says, Are you calling on me, God, the one you've denied all your life and taught others to deny? And you've, you've credited creation to a cosmic accident? You're calling on me? Do you expect me to step in in this situation? Am I to count you as a Christian? And the guy thinks for a second, he says, I guess that is a little hypocritical at this moment to do that. So here's what I'd ask you to do instead, God. Um, could you make the bear a Christian? <laughs> and the voice said, very well. And the light stopped shining and the forest sounds resumed and the bear stopped in midair, dropped to his knees, folded his hands, said, for, Lord, for this food I'm about to receive, I thank you. <laughs> I, that's motivation, right? You pray when you're motivated. But what, what are our motivations? Like, think about what prayer really is, because I think for some of us, you know what prayer becomes? Come, here, we're, it's in this, like, this, this game we play with God where we're trying to manipulate God a little bit. Our prayers are all about us and what we want and what we, what we, how we see the future and our agendas. And we, we pray with this idea that I'm trying to twist God's arm to do something maybe that he doesn't want to do. I'm just trying to get him to see my side of things. And I'm trying to bring him on to, over to my, the way I want to do things. And that's not what really what prayer is about. What, what most of us do is we, we kind of set our agenda and say, God, bless what I'm doing. Like, I'm doing this anyways. God, I'd like your blessing on it. Instead, here's what we ought to be praying God, help me to do what you're blessing. I want to join you in whatever you're doing, God. I don't want you to try to answer to my agenda because that's not, that's not a way we're supposed to pray. What we ought to do is we ought to just say, God, whatever you want. You know, when the Bible talks about if we ask anything according to the will of God, it will be done. Yes, that's the key. Ask according to the will of God when we start recognizing that we don't have an agenda. Not my will, but his will be done. Here's, let me give you some, some scripture here. In James chapter uh, 4, verse 3, here's what James said. I want you to see if you can figure out the motive here that James talks about. He says, when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong, with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So what James is saying, the reason you're not getting something, something in prayer sometimes is because you're asking with the wrong motives. And the motives in this case is that you're, you're wanting to get something. You have just like this, this selfishness when you pray. Now, James is not saying you shouldn't pray for yourself. He's saying you shouldn't pray selfishly. And there's the difference. Like Jesus taught you ought to pray for yourself. There's, there's good. We've talked about intercession. That's when we're praying, for, we're praying for somebody else or Jesus is praying for us. But there's another type of prayer that the Bible teaches called supplication. Supplication is when we pray for our needs. That's good. It's part of the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what Jesus taught. It's okay to ask for something. But at the end of the prayer, it's ought to be, but whatever you want, God. Whatever, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. With the motive of saying, I want what God wants. I want God to align my heart with his heart. 
Not try to get him on my side to do what I want to do because I'm going to mess things up. I don't know the future. He does. I trust him. He's sovereign over everything. So I might as well pray, God, help me to just join you in whatever you want to do. Just, just help me to, to have the same kind of heart that you have. And so the first motivation that could be bad is when we're looking at things selfishly. It's all about us. It's all about us. Again, nothing wrong with praying for yourself unless it becomes selfish. And that's a problem. The other kind of issue that we see is, is we, uh, another type of motivation that's wrong is that when we, do, when we pray for the wrong reasons. In, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is, is, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking about prayer. And he's also talking about how not to do prayer. And here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Let me pause for a second. Here's what he's talking about the hypocrites. He's talking about the religious leaders. They were known as the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But these, we, these were the people in Jesus' day that they didn't like Jesus because he was a threat to them. Until Jesus came on the scene, they were large and in charge and everybody looked up to them. And then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he calls them out because they were a bunch of hypocrites. They said one thing and, and did another. And one of the things that they would do, they would always posture themselves to look better than they were. They would always posture themselves to, to look very spiritual. And so they, they, he said, don't be like them because what they do is that they go on the street corners, publicly pray on the street corners, and in the synagogues where everyone sees them. He says this, I tell you the truth, that is, that is the, all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, let, let me just kind of mention a couple of things here because this can be a little confusing. The first part, though, I do want to show you is the motive for these guys, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the hypocrites that he's referring to. Their motive was to be seen by other people. Because they would position themselves in these public places on the busiest street corners with at, at the busiest time of day, and they would, they would wax eloquent these prayers, right? And they would just pray, just sounding overly spiritual. And people would look up to them because they thought, man, these are, look at them. They're the teachers of the law. We aspire to be like that one day when, in fact, their hearts were empty. For the things of God. It was all about them. And Jesus said, that's the only reward they're going to get. Whatever applaud they get from men right there, that's it. They're not getting any from heaven because God is basically not going to even listen to those kind of prayers. So it's not about looking good. But then he goes on to say, here's what I want you to do. Don't be like them. Go away privately and pray. Now, was he condemning public prayer? Absolutely not. Because there were times Jesus prayed publicly. There were other times in Scripture where other people prayed publicly. It's not, this was not... A, a condemnation about public prayer in general. You have to look at the Bible as a whole. What he's saying here is that don't be like those people. Don't do it for, for the accolades of men because it is basically a conversation with God. So what you need to do is, whether you're in public or private, it ought to be a conversation with God. It's not about the other people. In fact, if you've ever prayed publicly, that's a little awkward at times, Right? Because in, and there's a sense that what happens, I think, for a lot of us when we're praying publicly is I don't want to mess it up because there's other people. But when we're private, we can just talk to God like we would any, anybody else, like our best friend. And sometimes it doesn't always come out the way we want it to or whatever, and it doesn't matter. So sometimes in public, we, get a little, we feel a little pressure to, oh, I've got I to word this just right because what are people going to think about me? That's where we get it wrong. 
So what's your motivation? Now, in, in, first, uh, in, in James 5, it says this. Here's what James says. He says, the effective, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. The effective fervent prayer. Another translation says the earnest prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Earnestly praying. Again, that's the heart. That's the authentic communication. Because that's what prayer is. If you want a power of a prayer life, just authentically come to God. With, with all your mess. Don't try to, don't try to you know, come to him trying to fool him. Or with those kind of motives. Effective, fervent prayer. It's interaction with God. It's not about, it's not a repetition of words. Like just religious words of repetition. That just going on and on. It's something we've memorized, the prayer. Because that's a lot of times how many people pray is they don't know. This is how they learn. Those prayers when you're kids, you know, you learn to pray. God is good and God is great. Let us thank him for this food. I think I mean, God is great, God is good. I don't even know if I said it right because I didn't grow up doing that. But, but this, is, this is the prayer, right? Or now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Nothing wrong with teaching your kids to pray prayers, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, it, the problem with that sometimes is it becomes just rote. Like I'm saying it over and over again and I really don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Some people have done that with the Lord's Prayer. When, Je when Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Now, it wasn't meant to be prescriptive. Like, just repeat this prayer as some sort of magic prayer. Now, there's nothing wrong with repeating it, and there's nothing wrong with doing it in public and, with, and together corporately. There's nothing wrong with it, unless it becomes like this total, a mindless thing that we just do by rote. So it was, it was, it was kind of an example of how you pray and what elements are, are part of a powerful prayer, but it wasn't a prescriptive prayer. Because when we pray things over and over again, it loses some of the meaning. Like if you said the same prayer every single day of your life, the first day it might be meaningful, but by the last time it's not real meaningful. It's like when you hear a song, like we do a powerful worship song. And the first time you hear it, you're moved. I mean, like something stirs inside of you. You're weeping and you're reading these lyrics and you're singing them and you're just like, it just gets a hold of you. You ever been there? Like you're, it's like, whoa, that was an experience when I just sang that song. And the second time is pretty good. And by the 15th time, you can do it by memory and it's not quite as powerful. You're not moved the way you were. It's like if you're a parent and if your child came to you and said, you're the greatest dad on, in, on the earth. I love you so much. You'd go, wow, thank you. And you'd be like, touched. Wow. But if it was day after day after day, after, like the 556th day of that same exact thing, you'd go, what are you, a broken record? Don't you know anything else? Are there any other attributes that you see that you like about me? Why are you saying the same things? I mean, you'd appreciate it, but you really wouldn't. You know what I mean? You're like, they don't really mean it anymore. So when we pray, it's, it's, it's a conversation. It's authentic. It's like, God, here's what's going on in my life. You already know it, but I'm just sharing this with you. And this is a burden that I've got. And this is a challenge that I'm facing. And, and this, is, this is a decision I have to make. And these are the things that I'm celebrating. And these are the things I'm concerned about. And God is like, yeah, thank you. Thank you for including me as part of your life. I love to hear you. I already know the future, but I love the conversation. Let me give you the second thing. You're in a powerful prayer life. It's not only just checking your motive. Here's, here's another thing that I think a lot of people overlook. And that is this. The length of your prayer has little to do with the strength of your prayer. 
the length of your prayer has little to do with the strength of your prayer. God isn't impressed with, with long rants, rambling, just kind of perfectly articulated prayers where we put in some religious language to sound good and fluffy. and That doesn't impress God. God just wants your heart. God just wants a conversation. And we're to just approach him that way. He wants you to be yourself. Have you ever heard anybody when they go to pray, they don't, it's kind of like, it's like, who is that person? <laughs> it doesn't even sound like them. Like normally you're having a conversation, they're just regular people. They go to prayer and it's like, all of a sudden they start speaking in the you know, 16th century King James language. Yeah. Thou greatest God, thou knowest my needest. Thy did this, thou thee. And they're like, you're like, is that the way you talk to your dad? Like on your earthly dad, do you talk to him that way? Probably not. Why would you talk to God that way? There's, you don't have to do it. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of that. God's not impressed with that. It doesn't, he doesn't go, wow, he knows the old English. I better listen to that prayer. That's going to be a powerful one. God's like, who, who are you? Like, you don't talk to anybody else that way. You don't have to talk to me that way. I'm God. I'm your friend. I'm your God. I'm your Savior. Just talk to me. And it's not how long you talk. In Matthew chapter 6, again, Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount with prayer. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Now, pause there. The first people he was talking about were, were the Pharisees, the, religion, the Jewish religious leaders. He said, those guys, their motives are all about, look at me. But he's saying, now I'm saying, don't do like the Gentiles do. These are non-Christians, non-Jews. And yet they prayed because, again, prayer is instinctive. And they would pray to their gods, their idols. And according to the way they had to pray, they had to keep praying and praying and praying and praying and hoping that those idols would hear them and answer their prayers. And he said, don't be like the Gentiles who babble on and on. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them for your, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Isn't that great? That when you pray, you're, you're, God already knows. He knows what's in your heart. So just talk to him. Just say, God, this is what's going on in my life. On the other hand, this is kind of weird, okay, because he just says, don't go on and on. And then there's another verse that kind of seems to contradict that. In um, 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, it's pray without ceasing. So which is it? Don't go on and on or pray without ceasing. How, how do you do this? What's, well, there's, a, there's a kind of a confusion there. Well, don't go on and on babbling like the Gentiles do, thinking that their long prayers are going to get you know, are more powerful that they're going to get the attention of God just because they're long. On the other hand, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does that mean 24-7, 365, I'm, I'm you know, praying? No, because that's not possible. It's not what he's saying. Look at it this way. It's a conversation with God that never ends. It's like getting on the phone with someone and then, oh, I, I, I got I to gotta go, but I don't want to stop talking, so I'm going to leave it on speaker, or I'm going to leave my, you know, the Bluetooth on, and we're going to have this ongoing conversation. I'm not really, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not actively in a conversation right now, but I may be in a second, so, so don't hang up. And I'm in this 
like doing my, all of a sudden I just, hey God, hey, this is going on. And then I'm back to what I'm doing and hey God, and it's just kind of this ongoing conversation. It's not, okay, I'm done with my prayer for today. You know, it, it, it's, it's 7.05, I'm done with my prayer for today, so that's it. I don't have to talk to God till tomorrow. No, it's an ongoing conversation. Pray without ceasing. Continually tuned in to what God wants to do. Now, the other part of this thing, again, just because the prayer may be long doesn't mean the prayer is strong. It, you don't get brownie points for, for having a longer prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying what's on your heart, but if you're doing it, just say, okay, I guess I better go five more minutes because then God may be impressed enough to give me what I need. Right? It doesn't work that way. In fact, what you see when you look at prayer in the Bible is that prayer is pretty short. You know that last week I, I shared John chapter 17. John chapter 17 was a prayer of Jesus. Talk, remember last week we talked about he, he prayed several things. He prayed for our unity. He prayed for us to be holy. He prayed for us to, uh, to, to, to live on mission, all those kind of things. That prayer last week in John chapter 17, and I only read part of it, is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And it isn't that long. The longest recorded prayer of Jesus do you know that Jesus didn't, he was he didn't normally pray very, pray very long. Because it's not about the length, it's about the strength of the prayer. Now, let me give you some examples of what I mean. A lot of great things don't take a lot of words. The Gettysburg Address only has 286 words. 286 words for the entire Gettysburg Address. The Declaration of Independence is 1,322 words. Not very many, really. When you think about it, that's that's the whole declaration of independence. However, now you get in government involved, things happen. The government regulations on the sale of cabbage is 26,911 words. Somehow we think the more words, the better. All that is is confusing, isn't it? The Lord's Prayer. When Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, you know how many words that was? 66 words. It's not about long prayers. It's about getting in tune with the heart of God and just sharing what's on your heart. I'm going to give you some examples of some short prayers in the Bible that were extremely effective. First one is only 11 words. It's found in Luke chapter 18. Now, here's the setting. Jesus is telling a story, a parable. And he's talking about a religious guy, a Pharisee, the one that I just talked about a minute ago that didn't like Jesus. And the other person is a tax collector. He was the, you know, the one that everybody hated because they were, they were just, just cheats. And listen to what he says. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was this despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, 11 words, 11 words, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Here's Jesus' evaluation. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. It wasn't the length of the prayer. It was the strength of the prayer. It was the heart behind the prayer. 
Let me give you another one that's only nine words long, but extremely effective. As you might recall, Jesus is crucified between two thieves. One um, was going to his death as a rebellious man. The other repentant beside Jesus. Listen to his prayer. Then, then he said nine words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's his prayer. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. A very powerful prayer that was answered in nine words. And then the shortest prayer in the Bible. Only three words. Here's the setting. Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples are scared to death in the boat. Peter says, if it's really you, let me walk to you on the water, Lord. And Jesus says, come on. And here's what it says. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Here's his prayer. Three words. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Three words. Save me, Lord. You ever been there? You ever had one of those SOS prayers? You ever prayed one of those and you're such a jam? You don't have the words. It's just like, save me, Lord. Help me. Nothing fancy about those prayers, but they get the, the, the ear of God, the attention of God. I was reminded this week of the power of prayer and God's ability to, to save. Actually, last week, a friend, lifelong friend of mine um, passed away. He was an amazing story. He had had cancer 11 or 12 years ago, beat it twice. About seven or eight years ago, and this guy was in perfect health. Even after that, he was still a CrossFit uh, instructor and had a stroke and um, survived with that and thrived with that somehow in the midst of all of those problems. And then he, had, then he got, um, about a year ago, another rare form of leukemia came back and um, he was getting some sort of special treatment. It wasn't working. Eventually they said, it, we, we're not going to be able to do the treatment anymore. She's not going to make it, right? It's, just, it's, it's headed toward death. And um, great guy, but... You know, he's a guy that I used to hang out with long before I was a follower of Jesus, but um, like I say, lifelong friend. His two brothers, he's not, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. His two brothers who are older, which I didn't really know, I just knew of them, they were both in ministry. And so a, a mutual friend of, of ours um, knew that now that, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and uh, she contacted me and said, would you... If, if it's possible, if, you know, because he's not doing real good, but if he's up to it, would you be willing to give him a call and pray for him? I said, absolutely, if you can set that up. So she says, I'll do that. And another person got involved and got me a phone call set up supposedly with this guy. I, 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 um, I, I, I talked to, I get a, I get a phone call. I, I, they gave him my number. I get a phone call from Florida. I, I figure it's him. It's not. It's his brother that I don't know. It's one of the guys that's in ministry. And he says, um, he says, I got this message to give you a call. You needed to talk to my brother. He's unable to do it. He's basically sleeping 22 hours a day because he doesn't have strength. He, you know, they're giving him two blood transfusions a day to keep him alive. He just, he just doesn't have the energy for a call. And he didn't know anything. I, so we got to talking. And I said, I, really what I wanted to do was, was 
because he thought I was going to come. He didn't know I lived in South Carolina. He says, do you want to come over and talk to him or see him? I said, no, I'm in South Carolina. I can't. And we got talking. I said, I'm a pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus now. And, he's, and then the conversation changed. He said, oh, he said, that's awesome. He said, let me tell you about my brother. And that is that he's not saved. We've been doing everything. Me and my brother have been really, over the years, trying to get him to open his heart up to Jesus. He won't do it. Stubborn, you know, kind of very self-reliant kind of guy. And so he said, do, do me a favor. He said, if he's up to it tomorrow, I'll have him call you. But I don't know, man, it's just really tough. He said, but if you'd pray for his salvation, I said, absolutely, 100%, I'll pray for salvation. If I get a chance to talk to him, I'll, I'll, and I'm gonna go, I'll go for the jugular. I'll, I'll tell him about Jesus. And so we hung up the phone, and um, I began to pray. 20 minutes later, because he, he said, my, my other, his other brother, he said, is, is, is actually going to try to get that conversation going again with, with, with Jay, my, my friend. So about 20 minutes later, I get a, the call comes back. He goes, I want you to know what happened. He goes, my brother Donnie went and saw Jay today. It was what, just basically right before we were talking. And he had that conversation with Jay. And he asked Jay, would you like to place your faith in Jesus? And here's what they said yesterday. I watched the memorial service. It was live streamed. And I watched it yesterday. And here was the conversation. He said, Jay, you know, you, know, you never want to talk about life and death kind of thing and salvation and these eternal things. He said, but, and Jay knew what was coming. And he said, but, you know, I'd like to have a conversation. He said, you know, why don't you place your faith in Jesus? And here's what Jay told him. He said, I've done too many stupid things in my life. And his brother said, that's why Jesus died, for people who do stupid things, like all of us. And he said, why don't you place your faith in Christ, Jay? And he said, Jay thought for a minute. He's like, he had this total clarity of thought at that moment. He said, he stood up in bed. He said, he didn't even prompt him. He said, he just started praying, Jesus, I want you to save my soul. He invited Christ into his life. That's the SOS prayer we're talking about. Jesus, save my soul which the Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He repented of sin, turned to Jesus, and literally died within probably 24 hours of that, but gave his life to Christ. And here's my point. That God's ears are always open to authentic prayers from the heart. Whether it's a prayer of repentance. Some of you may be here today and you just need Jesus. You just need to turn your life over to Jesus. God's ears are open to you and yours. His heart is open to that prayer. Maybe you've got a struggle in your marriage or your finances or some other situation, and you're just saying, Say, Lord, save me from whatever the situation is, and God wants to move in your life. We have a God who moves and is alive and is powerful and is doing things and is changing lives and is saving people these days just as much as he ever has. And let me tell you something. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer in your life. Keep on praying for those people in your life that you feel like maybe God's not going to answer this. Just keep on praying. God wants to do something significant. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we even have the opportunity to communicate with the creator of the world who takes time to listen, who desires to listen, who leans into our prayers, who cares intimately for every detail of our lives. And there may be someone in this room or watching online, just like my friend Jay, who's thought to themselves, I'm disqualified. I've done too many stupid things in my life for God to give me forgiveness or God to love me. Remind them, God, that you are waiting and praying for them to make that decision to follow you. And if that's you right now, 
Why don't you call on the name of the Lord and be saved? Turn from your sin, turn to Jesus. He went to a cross and he died for you so that you can have life. If you'd like to do that, maybe just offer up a prayer in your own words, like maybe something like just Jesus right here, right now. I am placing my faith in you as the one who went to the cross and died in my place. And I am asking you to be my Lord and Savior. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Thank you that you even listen to my prayers, God. And I want to follow you from this day forward. God, I pray for every person because we've all got needs. We've all got challenges. We've all got decisions to make. We've all got things that we're struggling with, things that we're concerned about and worried about. And I pray, God, that we would recognize that you're a God. That we don't have to try to impress. That we don't have to try to manipulate or twist your arm. God, help us to have the heart that says, I just want what God wants. Not my will, but your will be done. So God, move in our lives. And we'll give you the credit for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.